Hello and welcome to a pop culture episode of Abuse Isn't What You Think. This is your host, Jackie Graybill, and I am joined by guest Vanessa L. Wild. Welcome, Vanessa. Thanks for popping in with me to chat about Slapgate. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I always love chatting with you, Jackie. It's always a blast. So this is a particularly interesting topic right now. Thank you, Vanessa. I enjoy chatting with you too. And yes, this is interesting because it's in the public eye. And I know there's a little bit of fatigue around it and talking about opinions related to this already. But I feel like there is an abuse element to this. So it definitely warrants talking about in multiple different perspectives. Yeah, there's so many interesting layers to this, and it was so triggering, and I know that there's some folks that think this is inconsequential, and why is the whole world talking about this, but at a time where a bully invaded another country and is being violent, very visibly violent, and we come out of a substantially violent political season, or we're still in it, there's uptick in domestic violence through the pandemic. It's a very important topic and I, I'm sure it's going to blow over, but I think that's the problem with abuse is these things blow over when they actually need to be talked about and sustained in their uncomfortableness until we figure it out. Absolutely. And I think the fact that this even happened is indicative of something going on under the surface that really needs to be talked about. The fact that this happened, this would not have happened decades ago. And decades ago, the response probably would have been different as well. So even the response is really interesting. People who think, oh, it's fine. And I guess we should set an opening monologue, essentially, of what we're talking about. So when we say Slapgate, we're talking about the Oscars 2022, Chris Rock made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith. He wasn't one of the main hosts, but he was presenting an Oscar award. And Jada Pinkett Smith has had struggles with alopecia, which is losing her hair. And she appeared bald at the Oscars. And he made a joke saying, oh, I love you. We're going to see you in G.I. Jane too soon, right? And initially, Will Smith laughed along with the joke, and then he looked over at his wife, and her face was just crestfallen. And then Will Smith coolly walked up onto the stage, slapped Chris Rock across the face, coolly went and sat back down. And then when Chris Rock was stunned and tried to give a graceful response, Will Smith then was not cool anymore. He was passionately angry and started swearing at Chris Rock to keep my wife's name out your effing mouth. And that has precipitated all of this talk around appropriateness of both of them, of the joke and of how Will Smith handled it how the Academy handled it, not ejecting Will Smith. Is he allowed to keep the Oscar that he won later on in the evening? 
And there's so many aspects of this to untangle. It's like that ball of yarn that we just keep unpicking and unpicking layers and layers. And I want to say at the outset, if you're watching this video, you can tell that both myself and Ms. Vanessa are white women. There's a racial component to this that we will never understand because this happened between two black men about one of their black wives. There are issues around women's beauty, particularly black women and the ties with their hair. That is a whole thing that oddly enough was covered by Chris Rock when he did a documentary about black women's hair. So if anyone should have known better, it should have been him. Laying that groundwork, let's start chatting about what some of the different aspects are. Did you have something that you were thinking of, Vanessa? One of the things that keeps coming up for me is if we're going to talk about race, number one, which we're not really going to talk about, but if it was two white guys, would this have caused such fervor? And why is that conversation different? These are two human beings that verbally and physically were in this altercation. One human man went up to another human man and verbally and physically attacked him. So I don't know that we can take the race out of it, but I look at it as two human men getting into this altercation. And it's interesting how all the focus went on, oh my God, what did Will do in the shock and the awe of that violent experience? But very little of the initial conversation was, oh my God, how's Chris? How does Chris feel? Was Chris feeling ashamed or bad or scared or uncomfortable? Is this going to cause trauma for Chris? And that's the conversation that when we're talking about abuse gets missed. Everybody talks about the abuser and how awful what they did is what they did or the person who started the violence, but the conversation does not get sustained on the person on the other side of that. And so those are the two things that I thought about initially and also how it would be approached if this was a man who slapped a woman, a woman who slapped a woman. There's so many different components to this to look at. You and I chatted before we decided to do this episode about all these different kind of layers of this, like, oh my God. <laughs> so I think the most important thing is really the conversation around any kind of abuse and the abuser. And why does the conversation get stuck on the person who committed the act of violence? And we don't sustain the conversation on the person on the other side of that. Absolutely. The victims get lost in their own narrative. For instance, when women are murdered, they are often not even mentioned. It's all about the abuser and how he murdered or murdered commits suicide. And the actual victim isn't even talked about. And the same is true when the victim is not murdered. When they're alive, all of the trauma that they go through, which is what this podcast is really about, because it's about recognizing it, escaping from it, and healing from it. And I feel like this piece is really about the recognizing what the abuse is. And it's not even just Chris Rock, it's Jada as well. I don't know if you know who Laura Richards is. She hosts Crime Analyst, a podcast, and she's instrumental in helping coercive control legislation be passed, both in the UK and now it's starting to be done in the US. So she really is an expert in the abuse sector. 
And after this happened, I went to her Instagram and she put a post saying, just wait, they'll turn this around and make it women's fault. I thought, how in the world are you going to do that? And then I dipped my toe into the Twitter verse and there are men on there saying that, oh, the only reason Will Smith did that is because his wife is abusive. He was laughing until he got one sneer, they called it, from his wife. And then all of a sudden he jumped to and went and slapped him across the face as if a woman's disappointing look is at fault for a physically abusive act on national television. They made it her fault. Yeah, there's even women that are on that side of that. So I've seen some pretty weird comments across the board. But yeah, finding people that are blaming Jada, is it Jada or Jada? I don't know. But blaming her for it, blaming Chris Rock for it. And you're like, the only person that committed the act of violence was Will Smith. Did Chris Rock say something insensitive? A hundred percent. Comedians say insensitive things all the time. And that's why you don't sit in the front row at a comedy show. <laughs> You're going to get picked <laughs> on. <laughs> These guys are in the business of it. They know the business of it. And so there's a precedent here that we have to be careful of setting. And so the only person that really truly is at fault for the violent act is Will Smith. Chris is not responsible. Even though he said something insensitive, he is not responsible for Will's physical violent act. Yes. And Jada's sneer is not responsible for her husband's violent act, period. And even what we label her physical expression as. I saw somebody who is crestfallen and shocked that somebody would say something like that. Somebody else saw a sneer. You can read something into somebody's expression and make it essentially say whatever you want it to say which can be I looked at it I saw it as like disappointment or like really yeah. okay you can imagine someone being like oh come on that's really an old joke or that's really old that's not original her look did not seem violent to me or morbidly disappointed or anything like that and yeah. I don't, but we don't know it's all it's just our it's just we perceive something we make yes. up a story and we label it we could all be wrong yes and we don't know what was going on in any of their minds But the thing is, what he did affected way more people than just him and Chris Rock. There's, like you mentioned, the trauma that Chris experienced and maybe will continue to experience in future shows. Is he going to be afraid that somebody's going to come up and deck him if they don't like a joke? So there's Mm -hmm. that aspect. There are the other presenters, even. I know Amy Schumer. She is an abuse victim. She talked about how triggering that was for her. And I know that there are people who don't understand that say, ah, how was that triggering for you? You weren't there. This isn't your issue. Stay out of it. But the thing is, if you have been abused or if you are an abuse victim, seeing that happen is triggering for you in your cells in your body, whether you were in actual physical danger or not. So anybody that says that and scoffs at the idea of people being triggered by what happened doesn't understand abuse, has not been through it, 
themselves. Or is in denial of the abuse that they've experienced and the impact that it has on them. And we see that with a dismissive, I I felt like it was careless and Tiffany Haddish's comment. And, And I think you have the comment down more so than I have it, but I felt like it was dismissive. And I don't know if you want to read it. Yeah. So Tiffany Haddish, who I love, she's amazing. We love I, her. Love, I love Will Smith. Oh my gosh. Few actors have as much range as he does. Dramatic, comedic. He can do everything. I adore Will Smith. I really do. So this has nothing to do with Will Smith as a person or as an actor. So Tiffany Haddish said, Will Smith defending his wife was, quote, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And that his decision to, quote, protect his wife at the Oscars, quote, meant the world to me. Girl, if that's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You've got some healing to do, babe. (laughs) And it's not like we're in the Wild West, which coincidentally, Will Smith was in the movie about the Wild West. It's not like we're (laughs) drawing pistols that somebody physically did something. And it's also the setting, right? Because we see this as entertainment, but for these people, for everyone that was in that room, that's a workplace. That is their workplace. And if that happened in any other workplace, someone would have been arrested. And I understand. Oh, imagine that that happening at a company party or something. That would be a full-on lawsuit. There would be trauma counseling. There would be anger management there would be major consequences for that type of thing. Absolutely. And I want to play devil's advocate for a minute because you may not agree with me on this as a comedian. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) But, (laughs) But I want to put a little bit of the blame back on the Academy and the culture that has been created over decades of this idea of the roast right? Because Mm -hmm. that's what the Academy jokes are about. They roast everybody that's in the audience. They make jokes about everybody who is there. They're not always nice jokes. Now, if you go, you expect to be roasted, which is one of the shocking things in how Will Smith reacted because he knew there was going to be a roast. You can't go to one of those things and not know. But the question is, in that context that continued over years and years of verbal abuse. I'm just going to call it that because in any other workplace, that would be verbal abuse An individual relationship that would be verbal abuse. Has the verbal abuse gotten to the boiling point because it's normalized Then maybe it's time to think about the fact that knocking each other down and laughing at it the verbal abuse, maybe it's time for ceremonies to change, for us to not laugh at people being belittled like Trump did with a disabled journalist. Maybe the idea that we can be self-deprecating and laugh at that, maybe that should start to take center stage instead of this environment of the roast and being verbally abusive. Not saying that Will Smith is off the hook for anything, but creating an abusive environment that people laugh at, maybe we need to take a look at that. Well, we have a very high tolerance, a high amount of acceptable abuse in our culture and the world. 
And I've never been a fan of roasts. There's 10% of me will laugh and 90% of me is cringing. And the last roast I saw, I forget who it was, but I was literally just, I wanted to vomit in my own mouth. I was like, literally, this is disgusting. This is horrible. You have to put on a really hard shell to be able to sustain that. And you have to create this very false, thick skin to sustain sitting there and listening to that. And then you have to pretend that you think it's all really funny. And there's a part of you that has to shut down to be able to accept and hear all that. And you compartmentalize while you're listening to that because there's part of you that's going, part of that's true, but that's part of not true. And you're trying to like dissociate and do all this weird stuff. I categorically disagree with roast, not in a like, there should never be a roast, but I just disagree with that culture. And so you made a really good point that I actually had not thought of, which is to say that the roast culture, I think it's had its day now. We're really used to being funny at making fun of other people and making fun of ourselves and situations, but there does have to be a line. And the truth is, if you think about it, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out what that line is. You don't make fun of people with an illness. You don't make fun of people with a disability. There's just certain lines that are common sense. But the nature of comedy is that you push those boundaries and you're constantly looking for that. So above all judgment, I think that there's an incredible opportunity to look at and have a conversation about what is acceptable abuse. That's a cultural conversation because we're all involved in this. And some people have a higher tolerance for these kinds of things than others. So I know that sounds weird, but I think it's just a real important opportunity to talk about it. So I welcome the conversation to go onward because at the bottom line, we're talking about respect. We're talking about decency. We're talking about thoughtfulness. We're talking about kindness. We're talking about coexisting in a way that is comfortable and safe for everybody. And when someone dips out of that and does something that creates an environment that's not safe or destabilizes, it really deserves a conversation. And believe me, there's a lot of areas of life where we accept abuse a lot. So I'm not surprised that this is all over the place because it's triggering everybody's, ah, what's okay? What's not? Why am I upset? Why do I not care? It's like a little bit crazy. (laughs) Absolutely. I think along with that beautiful list that you just gave is empathy. Because when you sit in a roast, you have to put your empathy on the shelf to be able to laugh. Now, if you're a cluster B personality disorder, psychopath, sociopath, antisocial personalities, or narcissist, you have little to no empathy. So you don't care. You think it's freaking hilarious. But those people are around 20% of the population. And maybe it was one of those people who came up with the idea of roasts. I have no idea culturally how far back that goes, but it's an important conversation that bleeds into the political, the polarization of especially the United States right now politically. Because if you don't agree with somebody, does that mean that your empathy level goes down for them? Does that mean you start calling them names? That's one thing that really bugs me about politics in the United States, whichever side you're on, it doesn't matter. Just because somebody believes differently than you does not give you a pass to make 
fun of them. Like people, people. Or, or revert to your 10-year-old or however old you are in junior high. Yeah. Your junior high brain where you're just calling someone a name. Remember how hurtful that was in those years where you'd call someone a name? Words have impact. And there's no way around that. If you think that words have no impact, there's probably a part of you that's shut off, that probably had to toughen up, buck up, be a man, not let anybody see you cry. Words hurt. They hurt people's feelings. I feel like it's important to reinvigorate the conversation of thoughtfulness towards each other of creating goodwill and connection with each other. The culture of roasting, as you put it, which I like the way you said it, I get where it comes from. I I get why it's fun to make fun of things that we disagree with or people we don't like and weird things that we don't understand. But I think of that as a coping skill. It's a distortion on a coping skill to make fun of and laugh about things we don't understand or don't know anything about. It's a way to create separation from it. And I don't know that everybody that does that is a cluster B. Is that what you said? Cluster B personality? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's also part of conditioning. I would say some of that could just be really intense conditioning where they just weren't actually taught or shown kindness, compassion, or empathy and had that as a real high value. Absolutely. It's not about being quote unquote woke or it's not about being a snowflake. I think- Mm -hmm. People who are unkind, when their words or actions hurt somebody else, it's easy to say, oh, you're a snowflake. You're being too insensitive. But really, that's something that an abuser would say to their victim. That's called gaslighting, right? That's absolutely gaslighting gaslighting. because that's saying, how dare you have a problem with what I said? The problem is with the way you took it not with what I said. Victim blaming. You should change your story about what that means, or you should look at that differently, or you're taking my words and putting intention there that's not there. That is all a form of gaslighting and it's abusive. And you and I can speak to this because you and I come from backgrounds that were highly abusive. Yes. So you and I can speak to this directly and personally because we both come from a background where we've experienced sustained abuse, either in your case, a more intimate way, and in my case, in childhood trauma, and then different experiences throughout my life. So we're triggered (laughs) by this. And so we're coming from that perspective of having been on that side of abuse and healing that you've gone to university and built up your education, you specialize in this. And yeah, we're obviously coming at this from a very personally engaged place. Yes, this is more than just a casual comment on it, because I think the layers say something about abusive actions, about our acceptance of that abuse as a culture. And until we start looking at actions and at words that are abusive and calling it out and saying that is no longer acceptable until we start doing that things are not going to begin to change and that is the biggest piece of this to me it's a talking point it's a hot spot but where do we go from here what does it say about us as a culture and what we're willing to tolerate or not. And there's the, oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. 
that's a huge lie perpetrated by somebody who either doesn't have empathy or somebody who, like you said, it's a coping mechanism for them to say, I can't deal with my real feelings about the abuse I'm experiencing. So I'm just going to put a wall over this and compartmentalize this. Mm -hmm. And that when we see women accepting any kind of abuse, where the partner makes fun of them, puts them down, is condescending to them. The truth is, as abuse is extreme disrespect. Let's call it what it is. Abuse is disrespect, period, the end of the story. And it comes out in different ways. So when we accept abuse, we accept being disrespected. And that can be conditioned. You can be conditioned to accept being disrespected. It becomes normal. So then we defend our normal, which is it's okay to be disrespected. It's okay to be whatever your level of disrespect and abuse has been that you've accepted until we're willing to really look at that honestly and say, this hurts my feelings. This makes me feel like this. I'm not willing to accept it. That's your line. And anything beyond that can feel abusive to you, which means Mm -hmm. it crosses a boundary. It feels disrespectful to you. You don't feel like all the things you need to feel. And that's your line and that's okay. Everybody's line is different, but there does have to be a social line where it's to your point. I loved what you said. It's not about being woke. It's not about being a snowflake. It's not about anything like that. We are humans. We have emotions. We're meant to feel things. We're meant to connect with each other. And ultimately when you disrespect someone, it creates disconnection and that's painful. Yes. So I do think that there's an ethical component and this is what I love exploring or the ethics and morality of these types of things. If you look at it from that perspective, is it morally or ethically okay to go up to somebody and slap them across the face? There's context and that can be subjective, but is that acceptable? Because Will Smith in the position that he's in as having so much influence across the board, men, women, young, old, He's a role model. He went up and showed the world that it's okay as a human to get up and slap another human because your feelings are hurt. That's the kind of bullshit that we're trying to stop in empathy training, in fighting against someone like Putin, in stepping up against political nonsense. The whole world is actually waking up and trying to like fight against this. And then Will just goes up there and says, Yes. Um, it's okay to do this. That's a yeah. fucked up message. Sorry. Yes. I don't know if you want to cuss on here. <laughs> That's a horrible just message. Put explicit on this episode. <laughs> explicit. Thank you. My fault. Uh, no worries. That's a, that's a, just a, that to me is disrespectful. It's irresponsible. And I wish he had done better. And I want to take it back to two different language pieces that you talked about. And the first is the idea of that hurts my feelings. And even that phrase, when I think of that, I picture myself as a little girl. Oh, did that hurt your feelings? And it's this gaslighting, oh, your your feelings were hurt. But if you look at it, like when you said this, I was hurt inside. That hurt my soul. That made me feel like you said, disrespected. That's a little different feel than you hurt my feelings 
Because that I feel like is something that is also used by abusers to say, oh, did that hurt your feelings? Oh, you poor little kid, which often in abusive relationships, the victim is made to almost be this subservient childlike role with the two of them, the abuser and the abused. So that idea of, oh, your feelings are hurt. That's even something to explore with what is behind the words that we say. That's really interesting. And it makes me curious because I don't know this. So it's a supposition and you're the expert, so you can clarify. But what I hear is when someone is disrespectful like that to your feelings as a child, particularly another kid, right? Is the parent doing that? Or there's an adult influence in that child's life who's dismissed their feelings. So how many people who grow up to be abusive or like that, or in, you may not consider yourself an abusive person, but you may have a tendency to be condescending or overbearing or yell or whatever these things are. You have these abusive behaviors, not saying everybody who yells or calls a name is an abuser. Yeah. Because it's not an incident. It's a pattern, which is it's a pattern. And so where do you learn that? And so it makes me think of friends of mine who have accepted a high level of abuse from a parent and the abuse could be the person berated them, put them down all the time, made them feel like crap. And then they internalize that and live as adults like that. And it squeaks out and ekes out. And that creates a lot of toxicity because it's so conditioned in that person. They don't even realize what they're doing. They defend it because that's just their whole life and their whole operating system. And so they're unaware of the words, the impact they're having, and then they'll defend their position because it's almost unimaginable. They're not trying to hurt you. They just learned something and been so deeply conditioned by an actual abuser. It gets really tangled up. It does get tangled up. And there's the idea of nature versus nurture as far as what makes an abuser. And there's also the idea of, say you have two siblings that are in a similar circumstance. They experience the exact same thing from say abusive parents or one abusive parent. One of them ends up being an abusive person. The other one ends up not being an abusive person. They end up being kind and empath. They have different reactions to what they experience. So it doesn't mean if you have been in an abusive upbringing that you were automatically going to be an abuser. It's a choice. Although Mm -hmm. with psychopaths, it's possible they were born that way. There are Mm -hmm. different thoughts about that, but most people agree that by the time you're a teenager, you're pretty much set in being a cluster B. Wow. I didn't realize you'd know that by that age, but those are some really distinct qualities that you would see in a kid. Interesting. It's, it's so interesting. (laughs) Go and get a degree in psychopathy too, just to, yes. There's so many layers there. Oh my gosh. Or just study popular culture and you'll get close enough to a degree. Cause this is the stuff where you look at it and you're like, wow, How many people think like this? How many people behave like this? Where did this come from? You just look around. What we in current day call abuse is rampant. It shows up in so many different ways. 
And that's why I just think this conversation is so important. And as people are becoming more emotionally mature or emotionally aware, and now we have words for our feelings and we have words for all these things and we can understand them a little bit better. You just are like, whoa, wait a minute. What kind of world have we accepted? Like you said, in the comedy world, what have we actually accepted? And what is acceptable? But that's just subjective. That's based on our culture. And our culture is changing and evolving. Yes, definitely. And I want to take it back to something that we were talking about earlier, which is an incident versus a pattern. So if I was to look at what happened with Will Smith and Jada or Jada Pinkett Smith and Chris Rock, are any of those people abusive people? Can I tell, oh, Will Smith is an abuser because he did this? I can't tell that. I would have to know way more about his personal life because is it possible that he is? It's possible. Abusive people are often charismatic, the type of person that everybody loves. So that makes it just that much harder when a victim comes out and says they're abusive. People are like, no, they can't be abusive. Like what you talking about? But we're not in that marriage. We're not in those relationships. We don't see what goes on behind the scenes. And this is so important. Abuse is not an incident. So the fact that Will Smith did that slap does not make him an abuser. Exactly. It's a pattern and it's a pattern of control. You said it was about respect earlier, which is interesting to think about the correlation between the respect piece and the control piece. That's why coercive control legislation is starting to become in place. Because when you look at a pattern of behavior and a pattern of control, that's when you can start to legislate it and say, no, legally, this is abuse. Legally, you are not entitled to do this to another human being because it's a control piece. So when you see an interaction, an incident, like what happened with the slap or like what happened with the joke, you're considering that verbal abuse, that is just one thing that you see. If somebody does one thing, that doesn't make them an abuser. But if you look under the surface and you start to see this pattern of control, then you start to get a picture of what's really going on. And that is one of the most misunderstood aspects about abuse is that it is one incident. It's not, it's a pattern and it's a cycle that happens over and over and over again with the purpose being that the abuser is able to control every facet that they can of the life of their victim. Do you think it's intentional for the abuser to control? Do they know that's what they're doing? Yeah, it's an intentional act. They may not necessarily admit it to themselves, but they're predators. They are Mm -hmm. looking for prey for sure. They're an apex predator. In fact, I would say they are the apex predator in the human race. So it's more like an emotional mental predator. Yeah. And sometimes physical, it, you're yeah, right. If they are not, the reason that it spills into the physical is because they are not maintaining the type of control that they want. 
over that individual. So they feel like they need to ramp it up. So sometimes that just means, hey, I got a gun. You may not see it, but I'm leaving out bullets on the counter. So you know what I'm capable of. Oh my gosh. Real stories, real people. I think what you said was super important too, is that because one of these things happened one time doesn't mean someone's a narcissist or an abuser, but it doesn't mean they aren't. We don't know what happens in the intimacy of someone's home and their relationship. And it's important to not just start calling out, Will Smith is an abuser. Jada Smith is an abuser. Chris Rock is an abuser. Or everybody's a victim of something. This is an unfortunate expression of his hurt, his embarrassment, and his anger. And if Will had said, hey, man, she has alopecia, you should know that was really disrespectful. What kind of lesson would that have taught? What would that have solved? How much more proud would Jada Pinkett Smith be of her husband? I highly doubt any modern woman is proud of her husband when he goes and physically violates another person for a childish and insensitive remark. Doesn't mean that her feelings weren't hurt, all of that. If someone said something to me, I would love for someone to stand up for me, but it could be like, hey man, that is so disrespectful. You don't have a right to say that. Or did you know that she had this issue? Because maybe you didn't understand that. And that could be embarrassing. Then they can have an actual conversation about something. And again, let's talk about Ukraine and Russia. Why the fuck are they fighting? Like, honestly, we are in a world where we have emotional intelligence. We have communication skills. Talk about these things. It's because Putin's a sociopath, possibly a psychopath. He doesn't have an empathy. It's about his ego and his need for control. It comes back to control. Everything with abuse comes back to control. So how much more coercive is war? You couldn't be more coercive. And you see a Zelensky who's like the empath and the narcissist. (laughs) You see these playing out in a very vicious way. And so we're not comparing Will Smith to any of this, right? So (laughs) not that, but just that conversation about, these kind of personalities you just see that blown up on the world stage right now and to your point not everybody who has these altercations is an abuser but it is the pattern the ongoing proof that this person is incapable of being deeply thoughtful connected kind empathetic doesn't mean you have to love somebody but you don't have the right to be disrespectful or make someone feel unsafe in their emotional world or their physical world or financial world and the privacy of their own being. Nobody has a right to make someone feel unsafe. Absolutely. And there's the whole piece of Will Smith's background as well. He wrote an autobiography and begins it by talking about how he grew up in an abusive environment with his father physically abusing his mother, which I guarantee there is verbal as well, because there always is. And how pivotal a moment it was when he realized and was so shamed about not standing up to his father on behalf of his mother. So in his head, he might've been like, you just shamed my wife. I was not able to protect my mother. I just can't. I'm going to deck you. Again, we have the cool as a cucumber walk up and down, which that's the weird part to me that he doesn't get passionate about it until he starts speaking and abusers will do that. They call it losing control, but they don't. It's strategic. They can turn it on and off 
on a dime. So when police are called and they're in this passionate beating up their wife, the police officer comes to the door. Hi, officer, what's the problem? And the wife looks out of control because she can't turn it off on a dime. He's here cool as a cucumber. And I'm using the male and the female not representative because Mm -hmm. females can be abusers. It could be either way. Yeah. But the fact that he had this in his past definitely has affected him. But the thing is, he became his father, the person he did not want to be. In that moment. In that moment. Exactly. And we hope it was just that moment. We hope that he's not a covert narcissist or a covert abuser, because that's very common to your point. These folks are charismatic and seem all about love and kind, whatever. And they seem like good people until you're in the privacy of their world and things can kind of change. I think to your point, it was very interesting that he was, you said, cool as a cucumber, walked up on stage. I thought this was psychotic. This is weird. And then you sit down and then you get angry. So to your point earlier, I think we were off camera still. What else is going on with this guy to get him to behave that way? And what is going on? What's destabilizing in his environment? that got him to think or to behave that way. Cause it doesn't seem like a passionate outburst. It seemed cool and collected. And we don't know what his nervous system is like. So he could have been freaking out inside, but to go on a very public stage with all of your colleagues on national television, very thoughtfully, carefully walk up on stage. You had all that time to pull yourself back. You had all that time to control yourself. And to follow through on that. That's what I think was super weird. It was calculated. Yeah. It was calculated until he opened his mouth, which is the weird thing because it's opposite, right? Because if it had been a knee-jerk reaction, he would have jumped up there and just smacked him and been like, what? But it was the saunter. Yeah. Calculated saunter, which is the thing that gives me the most pause of any of it because that's not normal it's not normal and that's why I think a lot of people were like was this staged because then he went on the rant about protecting his family from that movie that he was just in representing the Williams sisters and that family and you're like what was that conversation about was it staged was this a gimmick what was that because that just seemed completely antithetical to what he was rambling about in his acceptance speech and his biography you're like what just happened here and the fact that he said love makes you do crazy things how many women and men that have been in abusive relationships have heard that phrase oh Oh, I thought my ex-husband was gonna kill me at one point I really was like afraid for my life and there were justifiers I'm sure you've gone through something but I was followed my car got cut into four times all kinds of blackmailed financially like all kinds of weird stuff And there were people that were like, he's hurt. I'm like, really? I'm hurt. What the, why are you justifying? Victim blaming. feels like it's in danger. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, the victim blaming. Oh, I can't even. Did you experience that in your abuse kind of experience? The victim blaming. Yeah. And if it had gone further, if I hadn't gotten out when I did, I'm sure it would have escalated. And I can imagine him saying, oh, love makes you do crazy things. That's what when you're- I love you so much. I'm so hurt. I want to 
kill myself. I want to hurt you. I want to do whatever it is. Sure, love makes you do crazy things, but we have to stop accepting that love makes us hurt other people. That's not love. No, it's that's not what care and love. That's what hurt does. That's what pain does. That's what anger and fear does. That's what psychopathy does. That is not love. You're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. That is not love. The kind of crazy things that actual love makes you do are stay up all night because you're thinking about the maybe that's obsession or binge watching together. <laughs> exactly. Binge watching a show together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. But like you said, it doesn't make you hurt the person or somebody else. If you're defending the person with your life, that's different. And yeah, maybe you could say that makes you do something crazy. And I guess if you look at from a faith perspective, the ultimate love, Jesus on a cross for the people that he loved, that he was going to save, that made him do something crazy. (laughs) So I guess sometimes that's true. Well, I would argue with that though, but that might be inappropriate in a different conversation. I don't know that he put himself there. I have a problem with that whole piece. Yeah, that might be a different conversation. I'm just meaning in the traditional Christian interpretation of Jesus. He was on the cross because he loved his followers so much, or he loved the people of the world so much that he was willing to put himself in that position. But in the abuse conversation, love doesn't make you hurt the other person. Can I, is this appropriate to say, you can tell me to shut up when I know we're doing this podcast, but (laughs) if you look at that cross acceptance, Mm -hmm. we accept that a man was God, Jesus was killed. And we've accepted that kind of abuse as love. Can we not see a root in that? Potentially. I think it's a worthy conversation. Of course, I don't want to offend anyone. That's not the point of this, but I look at the cross and I see a bleeding Jesus and I find it abusive. I find it holding me emotionally hostage to his pain. And I find it a symbol of acceptance of kind of the ultimate disrespect. We've turned it around. We've made that mean something positive. And Mm. I understand why some people look at that. And I don't know, that's the correlation I've drawn. And I walk into a church and I see that and I leave, I hurt. Mm -hmm. I go, I don't have a picture of my grandmother who got killed in a car accident to remind me of how much she loved me or the sacrifices Mm -hmm. she made for me. Why are we doing that? It's like an acceptance of something that was to me so disrespectful. Mm. No, that's a great point. And I do think there is an important element in there in both Christianity and a lot of other faiths, and I say this as a Christian, of glorifying suffering. And so when you glorify suffering and you take that to the nth degree, abusers use that and they use that in spiritual abuse. And people use that in the church to say, you shouldn't leave your abusive marriage because it gives God glory for you to suffer. God loves us. God doesn't want us to be in an abusive relationship. Hello? Like what? I don't even think so. Ah, So there's that spiritual abuse piece that definitely, I think it's something we have to be careful of with glorifying suffering in the church and in a lot of different faiths because unscrupulous people use that to their advantage 
and they cause a lot of people a lot of pain that's unwarranted when what we really need to do as people of faith is to say, I'm going to have healthy boundaries around myself. And if you disrespect me or try to control me, that's not rebellious. That is me loving myself like Jesus or whoever your faith is loved me by putting these healthy boundaries around myself. And that is a really important conversation to have. And aren't we taught that our body is a temple and that God resides within us? And so why would we, right, turn the other cheek? So if we were following these Christian principles, then I really don't believe that Jada Pinkett Smith look was, let's go fuck up this guy on stage. She was hurt maybe or disappointed or annoyed. As any of us would be. Right. I'd be annoyed. It's a natural reaction. But the turn the other cheek thing is an interesting concept because that's where Will Smith, check yourself. Did he really just mean to hurt my wife, honey? Are you okay? Like assess, turn the other cheek. It doesn't mean you ignore or dismiss the hurt or whatever. It's about not responding in a vile way. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And If you also look at Denzel Washington's comment to him that he talked about in his acceptance speech, you better watch out for the devil because when you're on top, that's when the devil's going to take you down a peg. I'm not saying that's not true, but the way he used it was a way to justify it saying the devil made me do it. If I had a penny for every time an abuser in the church has said the devil made me do it. Oh my goodness. I would be a rich filthy rich woman because that's accept responsibility right. people exactly and that's wait, what me, abusers don't do they don't accept was denzel justifying will's thing or was he telling them watch out because you got to the top you have a lot of ego right now oh i see he was saying the devil made will do that rather well, than giving I, will the ability to take responsibility <laughs> i don't know what denzel said i'm just saying that's what Will's interpretation of it was, and that's what he said in his acceptance speech, because in his acceptance speech, he talked about that comment that Denzel said to him and he used it as a justification. Mm, That's disappointing. He apologized to the Academy. He didn't apologize to Chris Rock in his acceptance speech though. You noticed that? I did. And I want to ask you this. Did he say, I apologize or did he say, I'm sorry? I'd have to go back and listen, but you might be right. He might've just said, I apologize. There's a nuance there that I know you get, but there's a big nuance or little nuance. There's a nuance when you say, I apologize, which still keeps you disconnected. When you want to pardon yourself in a way that's not super emotionally involved, there's, I apologize to say, I'm sorry, not for how you feel, but I'm sorry. I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, is extremely different than I apologize. Yes. Very different. You're absolutely right. And then there's the classic, I'm sorry you felt that way. That's also not apologizing. (laughs) Again, rich woman, rich woman, if I had a penny (laughs) or a pence. Well, here's what's funny. It was not funny, but I was talking to my son yesterday and he said something, he's in a hard situation. And I said, I'm sorry you feel that way. And he goes, that's not an apology. And I said, I'm not apologizing. And I'm not actually telling you I'm sorry for doing something. 
I said, I am sorry that you feel that way because of the situation. It was an appropriate thing to say. But that being said, there is an appropriate time to say that. If I do something that's really hurtful to him, I am sorry. But the situation called for, I'm actually really sorry you're in that kind of pain about what's happening right now. This is literally how it's going to be. And it's contextual. And I'm sorry you feel that way when you've actually done something to hurt someone and been disrespectful to them. Don't even say anything. Just withhold that false, whatever that is. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) There's so many nuances, like you said. The verbiage is important. It really is important because that's just another way that abusers control their victims while continuing to gaslight. Mm -hmm. Words are important. They cast spells. They make energy. They make you feel something. They can connect you, disconnect you. They can bring us to tears. They can bring us to joy. They can make us feel safe or unsafe. They can elicit violence or not. Taking responsibility for our words is super grown up and emotionally mature. Making sure we're using them in a way that are bringing us together. Absolutely. And just to recap, we're not saying that anybody in this situation is an abuser, but certain things that were done are something that abusers would do. So it's just an important conversation to have culturally and in our own relationships to say, is this happening? Am I in this type of situation? And hopefully this whole thing happening will bring a greater awareness to the importance of what we say and of what is acceptable in all spheres of our lives, behind closed doors, all the way up to national broadcasts of something that brings us together, supposedly like the Oscars. Yeah, use our voice and our platform for good, being mindful of what we're projecting or casting out into the world. We're we're constantly broadcasting through our actions, our speeches, our movies, like whatever we're doing, and just to be more mindful of that. You know, Will had an opportunity to step back, to think about it, and that he went forward with it. Doesn't mean he's an abuser, but what he did was violate someone's sense of safety and dignity. And they're just saying, hey, let's be more thoughtful. Let's go back to using our words and recognize the power of those to connect us, to heal us, to bring us together, to resolve things and get on with our lives. Absolutely. And hopefully the Academy will look at the trends that have been set and maybe decide, hey, there are more wholesome ways to laugh than cutting other people down. Let's get rid of this culture of verbal abuse that we've allowed to fester because now it's erupted. You got to do something. I would say it's a good time to reevaluate and say, you know what? Let's set a new precedent where other people aren't going to be torn down. I agree with that. I always say that these opportunities that we've had to talk in the last few years about people in these missteps, so to speak, are opportunities where we can do something besides publicly shame. We can take an opportunity and just shame Will. But I don't think that's appropriate either. I think it's real important to have these conversations to understand and then to use them as a tool to educate ourselves. Hopefully he has a tool to just affirm to him that there's other better ways or whatever is going on with him that he helps himself in that way. But these are just educational opportunities. Let's not publicly shame 
people who are going through these things, but also let's not ignore it and let's use it to learn and grow from. Amen, sister. Very well said. Hopefully this podcast episode does a little bit to further the conversation. What do you think about what happened with Slapgate?